Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, and welcome to Helping Behaviorally Challenging Students, coming to you live from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine. Dr. Ross Green here. Uh, we're going to do this program like we do almost every Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time during the school year, September through May. Um, and... Uh, you're welcome to call in. Today would be a good day to do that if you want to. 646-727-2691 is the number. Uh, I have a bit of an agenda for today. It's a slight revision of the agenda. You may, if you listened last to last week's program, you know that we were going to have uh, the person who called in um, with the items on the ALSEP that she wanted feedback on. We were going to have her call back in again this week with uh, revised ALSIP, but she has been under the weather, so we're going to put that off till next week. But don't worry, um, I always have ALSIPs to look at. I don't ever have an ALSIP shortage. So I've come by some other ALSIPs recently, um, by some people who are learning how to do ALSIPs now. And, um, well, we're going we're gonna to take a look at those today as well. Um, but first we're going to start with an email from uh, someone who uh, writes the following, Dr. Green. I work in a high school day treatment setting. This is a new program, and the district has adopted a level system to provide structure in our setting. We have a range of students, both in age and diagnosis in this setting, autism with cognitive impairment, all the way to honors-level students with significant mental health challenges. The level system provides structure and consistency in responses, but it is also based on a reward-slash-consequence model. Is it possible to run a program like this using your model without a level system? Thank you for your question. The answer is yes. Oh, let's think about what a level system provides, and then we'll think about if we need it. One thing a level system does, but you don't need a level system to have it, is it provides uh, clear expectations for um, how we want students to conduct themselves. Now, one problem with a lot of level systems, of course, is that they are based on behavior rather than problems that need to be solved, the problems that are giving rise to those behaviors. That's one problem. That means level systems are focused often on the wrong thing, but not tragic to have behavioral expectations laid out good for kids to know what the expectations are. I think that most kids already know what the expectations are. 
but not terrible to have a reference point. And the kids who are having difficulty meeting those expectations aren't having difficulty meeting them because they don't know what they are. But it's good to have a reference point. I got nothing against having a reference point for how we expect kids to conduct themselves. Of course, if they're having trouble meeting those behavioral expectations, then we have to get down to the level of analysis of what unsolved problems are causing the behaviors that are causing them to fall outside of our expectations. Um, I don't know if we need a level system for that. that. That's not a level system. That's solving problems collaboratively. So, you know, the structure part, here's what our expectations are. We expect you kids to meet those expectations. And here's what we will do if you're having difficulty meeting those expectations. Now, here, here's where life really starts to get interesting because structure is one thing. Here's how we expect you to conduct yourselves. Consistency in responses. You could have consistency by making sure the kids know that if they're having trouble meeting a behavioral expectation, the staff is going to figure out what unsolved problems are causing that to happen and are going to embark on the solving of those problems proactively and collaboratively. That's structure, too. A lot of folks think structure equals a point and level system. That is not the only kind of structure in the universe. There's structure just by laying out the expectations clearly and making sure that there are structures in place for people to identify lagging skills and unsolved problems for kids who are having difficulty meeting those expectations. How is that accomplished? Through the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. And that we're going to be solving those problems collaboratively. How is that accomplished? Plan B. That's structure. This idea that the only way to achieve structure, not that the emailer is saying this, I'm just on a bit of a rant here. The idea that the only way to achieve structure and consistency is with a reward and punishment program isn't true. Not only that, if it's based on a reward and punishment model, adult-imposed consequences, then not only is it focused on the wrong thing, behavior, not only are we quantifying the wrong thing, behavior, we are using plan A to make sure that kids exhibit the behaviors we like and don't exhibit the behaviors we don't like, and now you just lost me. Um I'm all about plan B. I'm all about trying to figure out what's getting in the kids' way when they're having difficulty meeting our expectations and solving those problems in a way that's realistic and mutually satisfactory so that they are meeting our behavioral expectations. What can I tell you? So, yes, it is possible to have structure and consistency just by making 
clear what the expectations are by making it clear that if a child or a student is having difficulty meeting those expectations, we're going to figure out what the lagging skills and unsolved problems are, and we're going to make sure everybody in our building, everybody in our program is trained to be proficient in solving problems collaboratively. There you go. Shall we take a look at a few ALSIPs? I'm going to give you that call-in number one more time if I haven't already. I can never remember if I've given the number or not. 646-727-2691. If nobody calls in, we're going to spend the rest of the program, as long as we want, going through a few lagging, a few, uh, lagging skills, but especially through some unsolved problems. Now, we're going to get pretty technical here. I want to remind you before we do it, just as I did last week, of the guidelines for writing unsolved problems. Um, I'm not going to go into it quite as much detail as I did last week, but guideline number one is that the unsolved problem is free of challenging behavior. The behavior is out. Find to put the expected behavior in the unsolved problem, just not the challenging behavior that the kid is exhibiting when he's having trouble working toward the expected behavior. The unsolved problem is free of adult theories. That's guideline number two. The unsolved problem is split, not clumped. That's the one everybody has the most trouble with, and today will be no exception when I'm reading some of these to you. And the unsolved problem is specific, usually making clear the who, what, and where, when of the problem and the expectation the child is having difficulty meeting. Those are the guidelines. When you stick with the guidelines, you greatly increase the likelihood that the kid will participate and talk when you are trying to solve the problem collaboratively with them. When you don't stick with the guidelines, you greatly reduce the likelihood that the kid will talk and participate in the process when you are trying to solve the problem collaboratively and proactively. Shall I read you a few? And here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to think to yourself, what guideline is that one not meeting? What guideline are we missing here? And by the way, we have a message from one of our listeners, uh, an email. Um, being pro Very good point. Being proactive about solving problems through Plan B also provides structure. I couldn't agree more. Let me read you a few. Difficulty. Hold on. Let me pick a good one. Difficulty putting his lunch in his backpack before leaving for school. What do you think of that one? Uh, believe it or not, I think that one's great. Meets all the guidelines. Behavior-free, theory-free, split, not clumped. Didn't, didn't say difficulty leaving for school then we'd want to split it and know what things he's having difficulty doing before leaving for school. So a split, 
and it was specific. That was a great one. It uh, There were no problems associated with that one. All right. Difficulty moving from math to science at school. What do you think? That's a good one, too. All right, here we go. Difficulty completing writing assignment. What do you think? Clumped? Write. Clumped. What writing assignment? Because if we say, see, as you know, the wording of the unsolved problem is going to translate directly into how we introduce the unsolved problem to the child or student when we're introducing the unsolved problem in the empathy step of plan B. If we went with this wording, and as you know, that introduction begins with the words, I've noticed that, and ends with the words, what's up? If we um, ran with that wording, here's what the intro to the empathy step would sound like. I've noticed you're having difficulty completing a writing assignment. I promise you he's going to say what he's talking about. So we've got to split it. I've noticed that you're having difficulty completing the definitions of the spelling words in English. Oh, now that's a fine unsolved problem. If we ask him about having difficulty completing the writing assignments, then we are asking about every single writing assignment that he's having difficulty on. And that's not going to go anywhere. We've got to split it. Here's another. Uh, This is a good one. Difficulty controlling physical violence when in an elevated state. Um, That's a behavior. Controlling physical violence. When he's in an elevated state is what happens in response to an unsolved problem. It's what we might call the aftermath of the unsolved problem. But the unsolved problem is not about the aftermath. The unsolved problem is about the problem that is setting in motion the aftermath. So he might be in an elevated state and he might be having difficulty controlling his physical violence, but if you're sitting in a school meeting and somebody says that he's having difficulty controlling physical violence when he's in an elevated state, we have to move on to the next level of specificity. What, what, what's he getting in an elevated state about? Um, during recess. Also, he's getting frustrated and having difficulty controlling his physical violence during recess. What's going on during recess? Well, he and Tommy never agree on the rules of the box ball game. Oh. So he and Tommy are having difficulty agreeing on the rules of the box ball game, and that's when he becomes physically violent and in and is in an elevated state right so now let me write that one down difficulty agreeing with tommy on the rules during the box ball game at recess that's the unsolved problem we're not looking for the aftermath 
we're looking for the unsolved problem that's setting the aftermath in motion. Here's another. Difficulty explaining his frustrations when upset. Same thing. When upset is the dead giveaway for the fact that we must be talking about the aftermath now. Difficulty explaining his frustrations tells us that we are in the aftermath now. If I'm in a meeting and that's what's said, you know the question I would ask. What, what's he getting frustrated about? What's he getting upset about? He's getting upset when the boy behind his desk is kicking the back of his chair. Oh, and that's when he's having difficulty explaining what he's frustrated about. See, here's another piece to that. We're, we're actually not going to want him to explain what he's frustrated about when he's upset because we're talking about collaborative and proactive solutions here. When upset, um, there's, in this model, there's really not a huge demand for him to explain his frustrations when he's upset. We want to get specific enough about what he's frustrated about so that we can solve the problems proactively. What's getting him upset when the other kid kicks the back of his chair? When does that happen? Science. What's the kid's name? Stevie. Difficulty when Stevie kicks the back of his chair during science? Is that the unsolved problem? Yes. Good. That's the way I'd write it in. Let's do a few more. I hope this helps people get the hang of it. Here's one. I'm not going to say anything. Actually, this is not interactive, so I have to say something. But here we go. Difficulty moving from one activity to another. If you said clumped, you're right. If you're in a meeting, what are you asking next? Difficulty moving from what activity to what activity? Oh, difficult. Uh, now, they might make this difficult for you. All, he has difficulty moving from everything to everything. Uh, can you give me an example of what you mean by everything? Everything. Um, has he had any difficulties moving from one thing to another this morning? Yes. Tell me what. Math. To science, so he's he's is, and is that something he routinely has difficulty moving from and to? Yes. Let me see if I can word that. And here's what I might do in a meeting, by the way. I would say, um, help me word this one, beginning with the word difficulty, because you see, if you're in a meeting, and why not help the other people in the meeting get good at it? Why should it only be up to one person to get good at? wording unsolved problems and learning about the guidelines, if, if the meeting leader is explicit about the guidelines, then the people in the meeting get good at them too. And my experience is then you start having people sitting in a meeting, and not just the meeting facilitator, other people in the meeting who are now good at this and accustomed to it, saying, wait, we can't write it that way, that's a theory. Well, don't you think we need to split that? I think it's a little clumped right now. That's what you're looking for. But you never get to that point unless you give people in the meeting 
very clear feedback about what information you're looking for and what information you're not. So if people start telling a story in a meeting, we might say, you know, I'd be very interested in hearing about this, but um, if we can get it to a specific unsolved problem, that would probably help us be more efficient about this difficulty, what what's, what expectation? Is he having difficulty meeting? Somebody starts theorizing. Theorizing is usually an attempt to explain why. And it's not our goal in this meeting to explain why. In a lot of meetings, they think the goal is to explain why. It is not the goal of the meeting to explain why. It's the goal of the meeting to identify lagging skills and unsolved problems. The minute people start trying to explain why a kid has a particular unsolved problem, you're theorizing, and it's important for the meeting facilitator to say, you know, I'm betting we all have some interesting thoughts about why he's having this difficulty, but in this meeting, we're just trying to identify the lagging skills and unsolved problems. If somebody's clumping... Well, I've given you an example of that already, but if somebody's clumping an unsolved problem in a meeting, we are being gently persistent about trying to help them be more specific about the specific conditions in which that clumped unsolved problem is occurring. If they're not being specific enough, we're asking who, who's involved in this with him, what, what's going on between them. Where is this happening? When? Let's do a few more, then we'll call it a day. Difficulty following behavioral expectations when passing from class to class. Clumped or at the very least, well, clumped class to class, we'd want to be split about from what class to what class, especially if it matters, but also not specific enough. What are, if we're sitting in a meeting, what do we say next? What are the expectations he's having difficulty meeting when passing from class to class? He's, he's, he's running in the hallway. Ah, he's running. That's a behavior. But now let's turn it around. What, um, what's the expectation for how he should be uh, conducting himself in the hallway? Well, he's supposed to be walking. So he's having difficulty walking from class to class? Yes. From every class to every class or just from some classes to some classes? Some classes to some classes. Which class to which class? Math to science for sure. So he's having difficulty walking in the hallway when moving from math to science. Do I have that right? You do. Let's write it down. By the way, there's no real need to write anything down until the group, the problem-solving facilitator, the group ALSA facilitator, and the rest of the group have come up with the wording. You're perfectly fine to make the wording a team effort. If you make it a team effort... That means everybody in the meeting is trying hard to figure out what's the best way toward this unsolved problem. Beginning with the word difficulty, 
leaving out challenging behaviors, putting in expected behaviors, no theories, split, not clumped, specific. Let's do a few more. Uh, Difficulty taking feedback about behaviors with peers and adults that did not meet expectations. Well, taking feedback now means that we are now after the fact. We won't have to take feedback if we are being proactive and if we're trying to solve a problem collaboratively. So we're the taking feedback part is going to be out about behaviors. Well, we want to be behavior free. What expectations is he having difficulty meeting? What expectations is he having difficulty meeting when he exhibits whatever the behaviors are? Now, by the way, you might be thinking that behaviors is clumped, but we're really not even interested in his behaviors. So the last thing I would ask about is what behaviors? I don't care what behaviors. I care what specific unsolved problems are giving rise to those behaviors. That's what we care about. With peers and adults that did not meet expectations, what expectations? That's the perfect question to ask during these discussions to make unsolved problems more specific. What expectations is he having difficulty meeting? Let's do a few more. I keep saying let's do a few more. but Difficulty at bedtime moving from her coloring book to brushing her teeth. That's a good one. Just a few more. Let me find a few good ones here. Difficulty talking to his father when he wants to go outside to meet his friends. I need to know a lot more about why him wanting to go outside to meet his friends is a problem. Because it's too late at night. Because he hasn't finished his homework yet. Um, that's the unsolved problem. So I would take... Now, he's having difficulty talking to his father when he wants to go out and play with his friends... I don't understand the talking to his father part. I'm not sure that's going to be the primary focal point for the unsolved problem. I think we want to know what, wanting to go outside to play with his friends, what difficulty that's causing. Just a few more. Difficulty answering the question, how do you feel about that? difficulty answering, if I'm sitting in a meeting, difficulty answering, how does he feel about what? 
about the fact that he's not completing his math worksheets as fast as the rest of the class and is being held in from recess. Being held in from recess is the aftermath. What did you say he's having difficulty doing? He's having difficulty completing his math worksheet as fast as the other kids. So he's having difficulty completing his math worksheets. Anything in particular on the math worksheets? I don't know. Think about it. We're not in a hurry. I think he's having difficulty with anything that he has to think about. Theory. Well, let's see if we can get more specific than that. Any particular math um, functions, any particular math problems that he seems to be having difficulty with? Division. Anything in particular about the division? Double-digit division. So he's having trouble completing the double-digit division problems on the math worksheet? Yeah, that's why we're holding him in from recess, and that's what he's getting all upset about. Well, we're leaving that out. The getting all upset about a part of his behavior and the holding him in from recess isn't going to help us understand what's hard for him about the math problems he's having difficulty with, and holding him in from recess is not going to help us solve that problem. Enough examples, eh? Just remember the wording of the unsolved problem. The reason this is important is because if we word the unsolved problem poorly, we will introduce it poorly. If we introduce it poorly, we reduce the likelihood that the kid will participate and provide us with the information we need to understand the unsolved problem well. makes it much less likely that the unsolved problem will get solved. And therefore, the challenging behaviors associated with those unsolved problems will remain. It all starts with the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. The lagging skills provide you with your lenses. The unsolved problems tell you what you're working on. Of course, after that, prioritizing really tells you what you're working on and what you're not working on, and that sets the stage for both Plan B and Plan C to be proactive rather than emergent. It all starts with the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. Wording unsolved problems well is crucial. As I always say, one of the biggest reasons the unsolved problems of behaviorally challenging kids remain unsolved is because the adults never really got specific enough about what those unsolved problems were in the first place, so neither we nor he knew what we were actually working on. Another reason, of course, is that we've been primarily focused on behavior. He's hitting. Here's what that would sound like in the introduction, the empathy step. I've noticed you're hitting. What's up? You have just asked about the 37 different conditions 
in which the kid is hitting. 37 different unsolved problems that cause him to hit. I don't know. You ask me about 37 different unsolved problems in one sentence. There's an excellent likelihood my response is going to be, I don't know. What are you talking about? When do I hit? What the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems does is it helps us view the child's difficulties through the prism of lagging skills. And what an improvement that is over what is ordinarily said about behaviorally challenging students. What an improvement. Of course, it's not just lagging skills that are going on here. That would make this all about the kid. It's demands for those skills that brings into the picture of the environment. It's always both. It takes two to tango. Lagging skills and demands for those skills. And, of course, simply saying that a child, a student, has lagging skills, while that may be better than a lot of the other things that are said about behaviorally challenging kids, you got more work to do. You've got to identify the unsolved problems that are associated with those lagging skills, and then we've got to start solving them collaboratively and proactively. If we're only focused on behavior, we never get to that point, and we don't solve any problems, and the challenging behaviors remain. I think that's going to do it for us today. I hope you, as always, I hope you have found this information to be useful. And we will be back next week with another edition of Helping Behaviorally Challenging Students. I'll talk to you then. <laughs>